0: It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just
1: whipped your ass.
0: Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6. look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me,
1: Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all
0: along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nimza Zor. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome
1: everyone to another big edition of reliving the war we are barreling through 1997 we're almost lining it up month by month week by week with 2021 one of the benefits of uh, spending a lot of time indoors my name is nims Azor, joined as always by my tag team partner simon tackler we are here on the gray wolf entertainment network giving you exactly what it says in the tin we relive the monday night wars we are up to october 1997 and simon we get a bit of a double shot here in terms of the wwf because they have two oh is this the tail end of september the the special uk only pay per view. i think it's a tail end of september
0: yeah that's right the end of september so a double header for september for the wwe in 97 we had ground zero and we get one night only
1: one night only. It is their first foray outside of the United States uh, for a specific UK-only pay-per-view. Yes, there was SummerSlam uh, in 1992 in the UK, but this is like a dedicated UK pay-per-view. It is very, very cool. And uh, before we even get into recapping it, Simon, what were your initial um, memories of this this first UK pay-per-view, if any?
0: Well, this was a pay-per-view that was hard to find on video. So my video store didn't have one night only, but at the time um, on weekends, me and my older brother would stay at like my great auntie's house and she would kind of like babysit us for, for 1997. I can't remember why, but anyway, their video store near their house, their video easy had a totally different wrestling section. So my local one had no WCW pay-per-views. Their one in Thomastown had old NWA videotapes. It was totally That's different. Crazy. And then I guess, you know, like a couple of months after this pay-per-view came out and I had given up on ever watching one night only, it showed up video easy Thomas one night only. So I watched this a few months later. and It was like one of those Holy grail finds. I was like, Oh my God. I finally found it because yeah you couldn't just go on youtube and like mm. sean michaels versus bulldog like if your video store didn't have it you were shit out of luck that's it pretty much and another one
1: and you talk about that i mean i still remember um the civic video in Aspendell garden seemed to have numerous copies of wrestle war 1991 <laughs> with Ric Flair in it, but it didn't It didn't have anything like past 1994, which yep. when wrestling's really heating up, you're just like, oh, come on, man. There's just <laughs> so many times I could watch Bret Hart win King of the Ring before it gets boring. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but, but one of the things, uh, another cool little fact that we talk about um, before we get into the pay-per-view is like, I don't know if you can remember this, but remember in the later days of the UK pay-per-views, because were, these were UK-only pay-per-views. You can only watch them on Sky. But they also, Australia was put into that little blanket. So like insurrection and rebellion used to be available on main event. So we were the only country outside of uh, the UK that were able to watch these pay-per-views as it happened, as opposed to a home video release.
0: Yeah. And, and with that, I do just want to set the ground rules now that you've mentioned it. We're not going to be watching the other UK pay-per-views. No, this, is, no. this is a one-off because this was the only one that was treated like a pay-per-view and that is it. So this is one night only. For us as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So sorry if you're expecting us to review <laughs> Capital Carnage or No Mercy UK, uh, because we'll put it this way. I love how in the canon of, uh, of WWE pay-per-views on the network, there's like, you know, it's got like in your house, bad blood, all that sort of stuff. But in two separate categories. It's No Mercy with all of the No Mercy previews and No Mercy UK. It's like say WWE don't even consider it part of the banner, yeah. which I thought was awesome.
0: Why did they call that No Mercy? It's like when they um, repurpose Super Showdown for Australia yeah. and Saudi Arabia. Why would you do that? I yeah, that know. one
1: made made absolutely no sense there. But hey, look. Maybe, maybe that's a spin-off show that we need to do, the, uh, the Saudi ones later on. <laughs> in we're, we're 25 just, years. Like, yeah, in 25 years' time, we're going to do, we're looking, <laughs> we're reliving super showdowns. We start off in Melbourne and end up
0: in Riyadh. <laughs> yeah. Actually, also, before we get to the pay-per-view rundown, I do want to say, um, have you seen the poster for one night only before the pay-per-view happened with the proposed matches? No. I just want to run through these before we get to it and we can figure out was it better before or after. So British Bulldog versus Shawn Michaels, the advertised main event, that one went ahead as planned. The other big match was meant to be Undertaker versus Ahmed Johnson, a match that (laughs) (laughs) seemingly they tried to make happen a few times, didn't happen at one night only either. And then they were going to do Bret Hart versus Steve Austin, WWE champion versus Intercontinental champion. That would have been big. So anyway, it was meant to be a big triple main event plus the Legion of Doom just in a small box on the paper. So <laughs> wow. yeah, I'll, t-
1: I'll tell you. So out of all of that, I'm glad that they stuck with Sean versus Bulldog. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm. It would be cool to see a title versus title match. Maybe they were trying to recreate WrestleMania six with, uh, with Bret and Austin. Yeah. But I, c- I can tell you right now, if they were going to do an Undertaker versus Ahmed Johnson. Please, please do not do it for 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that would have been interesting. But let's get straight into the pay view shall we? Uh, we start off with, I thought it was a very cool little, the Sky box office uh, <laughs> little presentation. Like that was pretty cool.
0: It almost sounded like a guy doing an impression of a it British did, person. It? And then I was like, no, nah, no, nah, they're not taking the piss. This is real.
1: <laughs> it's just legit. But uh, yeah, so we get the little uh, super for the, for the Sky box office pay per view, And then we get our regular intro and a very, very cool vignette for Davey Boy Smith, which is voiced by Jim Ross. I thought this was uh, like, they've pulled out all the stops here. This isn't just like a, you know, throwaway little pay for you for them.
0: Yeah, this was really good. It was like a black and white montage of the British Bulldog, his history growing up and how he's such a hero to the British people. It was fantastic. It it seriously is night and day the production values from the WWE to WCWF this time. Like we can say nice things about the WCW video packages, but come on, compared to this, it's a joke.
1: It is next level, the WWF ones, but uh, Vince then welcomes us to the arena and he is pumped. (laughs) I'm talking like, fully super turned it up to 50 kind of pumped isn't he
0: this was yeah yeah i i wrote vince is super pumped and that's pumped for vince mcmahon levels like he was Mm. way over the top he was so excited to be back in england and i'll tell you what on this whole show vince mcmahon was almost aware that only one country was watching this Because he was real loose and more laid back than usual. (laughs) It felt like it was real Vince McMahon, not announcer Vince McMahon at points.
1: It really did. And he was so pumped for this thing. But uh, we kick off with uh, a staple that seems to be something in 97 papers. And in hindsight, boy, are we glad it was. Triple H versus Mick Foley. Now, Mick Foley's in his dude love persona at the moment. I thought a nice little touch was having an English ring announcer, as were the beef eaters at the foot of the ramp. That was pretty awesome too.
0: Yeah, we had the guards. It was a real stripped down set. It kind of looked like the Raw is War set without some of the, the signage. But having those British guards there, yeah, just gave it a real kind of weird attitude-era gritty feeling, but obviously still playing up, you know, the Britishness of it.
1: Dude, love, in a sign of the times, made a a very corny promo before the match, channeling some Austin Powers jokes, which reminds you that it's 1997. It really takes you back to 1997 there, doesn't it? But uh, uh, something else that also caught my eye too, there was an ECW sign in the crowd.
0: Did you happen to pick that one up? There were some interesting signs. I was going to get to some of them, but there were some real um, <laughs> real smart marks in the real crowd. Real smart stuff. ECW sign, Meltzer is God, Bischoff fears Vince, you know, like yeah. die, Bischoff, die. Like it was full on.
1: They were, and so you can kind of see like that in that era, I guess, because they probably weren't doing that many overseas tours outside of North America. So if you were at one of these stadium shows, you must have been like a real hardcore fan. But um, mm. all I got to say is like the crowd is absolutely hot for this match. They are just so pumped, really adds to the atmosphere. And I did think it was interesting that um, JR actually brings up the history of Mick Foley. So he mentions how... That um, you know, he was he was Cactus Jack in a previous company, then he came here as mankind, and now we see him as dude love. Like that's a little bit of history that you don't normally see. And I'm wondering if it's also because that it was a UK-only pay-per-view.
0: Yeah, I felt like the commentary was, yeah, like less less character, you know, like the announcers were less in character and just sort of calling it. You get that with the WWE. I noticed that the the comparison to make is we recently had Crown Jewel. And it's Mm -hmm. a similar thing. During Crown Jewel, Michael Cole calls the shows differently. He'll talk about this is a wrestling match. And he'll talk about moves, which he doesn't normally do. And yeah, JR was the same here, really going into the Mick Foley part of Dude Love. And I thought it was good. They're definitely dropping the mankind thing at this point. He might as well just be Mick Foley and they just rotate whatever gimmick he's doing.
1: Foley is actually he's pulling out all the wrestling chops here. he uh, It actually surprised me because this match sort of reminded me, like, oh yeah, that's right. Mick's not just, you know, a garbage sort of... any saying his garbage wrestling is a little bit harsh, but, you know, he's not a brawler. Like, he can actually, you know, mix it up there. And I think Triple H really com- uh, compliments him as a dance partner here. And one of my favorite spots that we'd see later on during the Attitude here, and I th- I'm going to assume this is the first time they did it, is the huge pop when Triple H gets uh, told off by a ref, because we would have seen... uh, We see Earl Hebner do it, but, like, Triple H is underrated when it comes to selling for authority figures.
0: Yeah, I know. I noticed that, too. I made note of it. That's a Triple H spot where the ref will yell at him, he'll yell back at the ref, but then the ref will get super angry, and Triple H will, like, throw his arms up like he's being (laughs) shot by a gun and act all scared. Yeah, that became... A staple of his, regardless of how much of a main eventer he was or how serious he was, that's one thing that Triple H would do. You know, every couple of years.
1: Another cool little thing that I thought was there were some nice little touches. Uh, for some reason, was I don't recall. Dude, love um, throwing little homages to Shawn Michaels because he does like the sweet shin music, as they called it. That one caught me by surprise a little bit. I couldn't remember what was like. Did you can you recall anything from a Raw that sort of brought that up, or was this just a one off thing because they're at a UK pay per view? They're having a bit of fun here.
0: Well, I don't know what the reason was, but I remember him using Sweet Shin music as his move as the setup for the um double arm DDT, so it was kind Mm -hmm. of funny and it ties it in because you know there was always the thing where in those promos that Mick Foley did on Raw, he says you know he always pictured himself as Shawn Michaels. That, you yeah. know, he'd have the tattoo and the girls. So sweet shin music was, yeah, dude loved tapping into that. And also the um reversal of it was so funny. So he set it up, you know, tuned up the band, goes for sweet shin music, which is literally a kick to the shin. And mm-hmm. Triple H jumped over his foot, which I thought <laughs> was great. And the crowd was going nuts for this whole match. They loved it.
1: There's some cool little spots where they play up to the crowd as well. Too. Like there's a very... Uh, the cool little, um, the, you know, the normal 10 count spot that they do in the corner where normally it's just someone standing on the turnbuckle and pounding their head. In this case, they actually, it was Triple H grabbing Mick Foley's head and doing like one, two, three in the top turnbuckle, then on the second turnbuckle and then on the third one, on the bottom one. And I've never seen that spot done before as well. So Triple H and Sean, Mo- and Triple H and um, Mick Foley, they are, like, you know how you have, like, your Rock Austin, your Sean Brett, like, you just find some of the compliments to you and you're always going to get gold. I reckon Triple H and Mick Foley definitely had that chemistry.
0: Yeah, like, we've mentioned it every match they've had, they get better and better, and I'm really surprised by the um variety of kind of match they had. Obviously, they can do a straight brawl, they've had a cage match. This one is more of an old school wrestling match. They do a lot of sort sort of like fun, old timey spots to get the crowd into it, but it's really good. And like you said, Dude Love shows off his wrestling side. At one point he hits a top rope arm drag, kind of like Kurt Angle or Shelton Benjamin, (laughs) which was really awesome because Triple H and Mick Foley are both huge guys. So saying that was good. I do want to mention the commentary in this match because Hmm. Jerry Lawler, the whole show was using... um, english insults and like british slang i had to google some because i don't know their meaning so he kept calling mick uh mick foley a burke and i was like What's yeah. a Burke?"
1: it's a burke yeah
0: i googled it burke is a shortened version of rhyming cockney slang so the longer version is berkshire hunt figure oh, okay. out what that rhymes for so the clean <laughs> version is just calling someone a burke and then the other one he kept calling him pillock's and a pillock is an old-time English word for penis. <laughs> so
1: pillock I have heard before, um, yeah. but I never knew the meaning. Just because you know you'd see it on like under the bill or something, but never actually <laughs> yeah. did the, did the, did the research for it. I was just like, yeah. oh yeah, you know, it's just I guess that's what they call jerks. But there you go. <laughs> we're <got>, we're getting <laughs> under the skin here. Yeah. Um, Triple H Triple H gets the win with the pedigree. Um, China gets involved a fair bit, as is customary in the match too. And China's becoming more and more involved in the little narrative of uh, Triple H matches now, isn't she?
0: Yeah, she's a huge part of it now. Like, Triple H goes up another level once he teams with China. And then we're about, I don't know, like two weeks away from DX formally becoming Mm -hmm. a thing. And then, you know, that brings more out of Triple H and China. So, yeah, they're killing it. Like, you can see he's a star on the rise at this point.
1: Very much so. Uh, we then get to our next little spot where it's a Vox Pop with the UK fans. And it surprisingly it looks like it's a 50 50 split. It's probably the editing, but it looks like it's a 50 50 split between people uh, siding with the Bulldog and siding with Triple H, not Triple H, siding with um, HBK, which uh, surprised me somewhat.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of little kids. They're like, oh, I love the Bulldog. But then all the women, they're like, Shawn Michaels is the best. <laughs> it was basically all the women loved Shawn Michaels. You know and they were like, Why is Sean gonna win? And they were like, Because he's cool, like they had no reason, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And, and the reason when people are like, Oh, what do you reckon British Bulldogs? And he's like, Because he's Britain's proudest wrestler, <laughs> and you're like, Okay, <laughs> so that's basically not the greatest of analysis from the crowd, but still pretty cool. Uh, then we get to our next bit, which is Sunny, she comes out to be ring announcer. This would be a staple in some 1997 like as I guess. They're just trying to find stuff for Sunny to do. She gets an absolutely massive pop. And I'm sure that you notice this one too. JR's line, she could be a Spice Girl. And that's the extent of my UK material. Oh, yeah,
0: exactly. That Such was good. A- that's all JR can do. I have noticed though, now that we've seen Sunny do this a few times when she uh, ring announces a match. They will bring out Sonny on a pay-per-view to ring announce the worst match you could ever imagine. They're like, Sonny, can you please at least get one pop for this segment?
1: Yep, because... And when we talk about the worst match, I don't think you can get any lower than this in (laughs) 1997 WWE, at least without the minis wrestling. It is Leaf Cassidy versus Tiger Ali Singh. Now, first off, straight off the bat, have they dubbed over Tiger Ali's music or did he have later newer music... um, The one that Lowdown used when they adopted his gimmick later on.
0: I don't know. I wanted to ask you this. You're the wrestling music guy. Like if I don't know it, I figured you would, but you don't. So now I'm really confused because Tiger Ali Singh came out and he's like, you know, of Indian heritage, that's sort of Hmm. the gimmick too. But anyway, I thought his music sounded more South American. A real salsa flavor. I'm like, this can't be his music.
1: I reckon it was dubbed over because I only, I'm pretty sure Tiger Ali only had one WWE theme. Thus was his stellar run. (laughs) Um, And that was the same one that was used for lowdown later on that really had a, you know, Knights of the Arabian feel to it, which in itself doesn't make sense since he's Indian. (laughs) But um, now this is the part that I thought was pretty interesting. So Tiger Ali gets booed for being Asian because as you know, an Asian Canadian and drug free now in the UK, Asian is not uh, is not what we would here in Australia define as Asian. Like, it is someone from the subcontinent, like Indian, Pakistani, Sri Lankan, which is exactly what he is. Now, Tiger Jeet Singh also does a little promo, and he says some things. But why would you put them in that spot to just absolutely drown there? And especially against a guy like Leif Cassidy, who's not even there to—he's not even going to benefit from it either.
0: Yeah, I-, I wanted to bring this up because Leaf Cassidy, of course, is Al Snow, but Leaf Cassidy is Al Snow's worst gimmick. He's a mm. heel. He has nothing going for him. He's broken up with Marty Jannetty. He's there to lose to hot new up-and-coming face, you know, Tiger Ali Singh. Tiger Ali Singh, I thought, was almost taking the piss kind of like Kurt Angle, like, yeah. I'm going to act so good that you'll boom me. And then I was like, I am he's trying to be sincere. No. Like he's, he's being said, sincere, yeah. He's like, I want to inspire all the fellow Asian kids in the UK to be drug free like me, but then he took it a step further and he said, I am the messiah. And I was like, What the hell? Yeah, what How is do you going call on? Yourself the messiah, it was uh, weird.
1: Every, every time we mention Al Snow, I need to mention, I can't remember who said it, I'm gonna find out who actually said this quote, but someone. Uh, in In a rebuttal to Al snow like they because he's got a pretty hot temper from what i've I've heard around the traps, and i've never you know encountered him personally or dealt with him personally, but someone once said to him to you know really put him in his place was you were the Marty Janetti of a tag team with Marty Jeantti <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> well, it was also like for Al Snow <laughs> like Al Snow getting owned. When he said on uh, Twitter that, like, his argument was the best match is the match that draws the most money. So he said that, you know, Hogan and Andre is the best match because that drew the money, not Steamboat and Savage. And someone said to him, by that rule, you've never had a good match in your life. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Elf. Oh,
1: man, he's just can't get... Although, to be fair, like, if we're talking we'll give him a we'll give him his worth like leaf cassidy in ecw or he still thinks he's in the wwe like as his gimmick is a pretty cool little thing but yeah i'll tell you this match kills the crowd dead they are just absolutely done there is a line from jerry the king law that i made note of where it says tiger jeet seeing one uh looks like a new york cab driver with that hat on his head yeah and and vince vince sort of like really steers out like oh there's a huge indian population in the uk
0: (laughs) yeah it was real (laughs) awkward and king even had to say oh for all you britons you know that's what our new york cab drivers look like and vince was like nah um Vince, vince also said um tiger is taking a page out of his father's footsteps and JR, there was a pause, and then JR was like, no, nah, I'm just going to call him out on it. And he's like, oh, I guess now he's walking in his dad's book. And he just kept <laughs> making fun of Vince, and Vince just had to go, ha-ha, oh, oh, and like do a fake laugh, but you know he was like bright red with anger.
1: Mm, the fake Vince laugh is such a big staple in these 1997 papers, and it's one thing that I do miss from uh, his commentary. But, Leah, uh, we get ourselves a very sloppy finish, Um, it's a bulldog off the top rope, but Vince calls it a tiger bomb. No, Vince, no, no, (laughs) absolutely awful match. Like I can't like, I, and I don't want to be that Mr. Negative, but if, if like try and find something redeeming about this match, aside from the fact that it feels like what about three minutes?
0: Yeah. Look, aside from Sonny getting a pop for a ring announcing and the funny commentary, this match might be one of the worst we've ever seen.
1: Mm. 100% Hundred percent. There, even the minis at um, Canadian Stampede <laughs> is so much better than this. I wanna, at least that. Was, hmm.
0: oh, I was just going to say. I do want to mention here that when the the real ring announcer came back, you mentioned that he was a British ring announcer. Hmm. Um, his nameplate came up for the next yeah. match.
1: Cost Cast Costin. Oh, I can't even read Car- my own hand, handwriting. Shafer Castin That's and it. And then yeah. I thought
0: that name rings a bell. And then I thought, hold on, he's on that like. Um, the international announce team so i googled him he's the german um announcer he's not british he's german but he speaks you know english and you know lives in europe so anyway he worked for the wwe from 1989 to 2020 he was one of their longest oh my god yeah longest tenured employees ever and they fired him in 2020
1: are, that's like Gerald Briscoe territory in terms yeah. of...
0: <laughs> what an amazing run. So there you go. That is
1: crazy. I guess he's your go-to guy um, anytime they came around. Yeah, just generic European dude. I wonder if, <laughs> if they did a, a German only baby if he all of a sudden starts putting on the German twang. But um, uh, we get we get a little recap of Ground Zero here and then we get a fantastic tag team match between Los Boricos versus the Headbangers. Um, Xavier Vega and Miguel Perez versus Mosh and Thrasher. Now, big pop for the headbangers here. Uh, and the Barikas ambush, but the headbangers get the advantage here a little bit. And I got to say this, this is probably the best lost Barikas match I've ever seen.
0: Probably the best Headbangers match too. I was so shocked by this match. When I I. saw them come out, I was like, yeah, here we go. Another one of these matches. Not only were the Headbangers as popular as the Legion of Doom for some reason in the UK, Mm. but they had great chemistry. The Headbangers did a lot of really good um, tag team moves. Miguel Perez was hitting like standing moonsaults and all these cool moves. Savio Vega was, you know, solid as usual. He's not as good here as he He's was not- in like 96 or 95, but still really good.
1: Yeah, especially since the headbangers, um, you know, they're not garbage wrestlers, but they, they're they not exactly, you're not going to get a matte classic from these guys. Mm-hmm. They're just rough and tumble brawlers sort of thing. But yeah, Miguel Perez, one, I can, the fact that I can actually remember his name this was his real coming out party. But at the same time, it seems that it was a very brief one considering the fact that I can't remember anything else of note that he's done. It, the first time I've actually made note of him in his entire <laughs> career, and I'm sure it's great, he has been one match when I re-watched a 1997 debut. But yeah, this is some great wrestling. The tag team spots are even really good too.
0: Yeah, that, that's what, like oh, that's what really shocked me. The tag team chemistry between these two teams... There was lots of double teams. There was lots of you know like blind tags and hot tags. This felt like a real legit good tag team match. Like maybe one of the best we've seen. Like it was yeah. shockingly good in WWE tag team terms for this era. Like it was really good.
1: This sort of says uh, two things. One, how how completely skint the WWE cupboards were in terms of tag team wrestling or that we just had a really low bar for this match going in and we were just
0: both pleasantly surprised. It's not the Smoking Guns and it's not the Godwins. Five stars, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, so I just... One
1: one thing of note, so the headbangers got the win, obviously. But uh, one thing that I did note, um, Mosh and Thrasher were wearing a Marilyn Manson and Napalm Death t-shirts, respectively. Now, Marilyn Manson, I'm well aware of, uh, uh, medals more of your... Um, domain here simon so who in the blue hell are napalm death
0: napalm death are a very heavy band that's like past my threshold like i know wow. of, they're one of those bands i know of but i'm like no nah, i'm not gonna listen to them they've been <laughs> around for decades they're one of those bands that yeah i'm guessing is- the headbangers don't even listen to napalm death just the t-shirt re- looked really cool although to be fair I don't think Palm Death deaf a European. Mm. Oh, was this just for a pop, do you reckon? Now, this sort of, while you look that up, this sort of reminds no, me. They're of, an the, English band. There of you go. They did, that's actually pretty that, that's good. That's why that was so over. But no, that is kind of cool.
1: That is pretty cool that they went to that little uh, 1% of there. Because do you remember, like, and we, we're sort of diverging a little bit off the path, but I feel like it's, it's irrelevant to talk about it. Remember when Eric Rowan, started wearing just all of these band t-shirts when he was uh like and you wonder if this is what uh, like thrash and mosh are actually doing like these are bands actually like before they started wearing the headbanger t-shirts because it's like hey you're popular why don't we give you a t-shirt
0: yeah I i don't know with the eric rowan thing what was going on there but it really felt like he was trying to bring back the headbangers gimmick Mm. Just sort of under the radar. He was like, I'm just going to keep wearing these. I feel part, like one headbanger would always wear a Marilyn Manson T-shirt. though. That was like the go-to shirt. In 97,
1: it certainly was. It's like the oddities wearing their South Park T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we then move on to a Debbie Boy Smith sit-down interview. Uh, a couple of dot points that I noted out of this. His family was will be there and all of his friends in the crowd. He dedicated the match to his sister after she battles with cancer. And this is not a super charismatic interview from the British Bulldog.
0: Yeah, it's Bulldog trying to come across as like humble and like real quiet. And it's not bad, but it feels like it goes too long. And then it becomes a hindrance to him because he's like, Mm. yeah, yeah, I'm going to win because I'm really focused and, uh, you know, I'm ready for the match. And JR's like, oh, yeah, cool. Uh, What are you going to do in the match? Bulldog wasn't he, ready for any follow-ups. Yeah. He just repeated he just himself. Like,
1: yeah, look, I'm just going <laughs> to do my absolute best. And yeah. yep. And, <laughs> so Please yeah, you're right.
0: This up, Jim. Like-
1: yeah, you're right. It sort of seemed like, like JR constantly was telling me to go home. And he's just like, oh, well, I can't just leave now. I better say something else. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, our next match is Flash Funk Sons the Funkettes mm. versus the Patriot. Now... Another thing that um, JR did here, he brought up their history together in Japan, which I did not know about. Um, and all I can say is the Patriot shtick, not going over well here.
0: <laughs> no, I thought I thought they were really trying to do a thing where like, you know, obviously in Canada, the, the hearts are good guys, blah, blah, blah. I thought the Patriot was trying to play up that he was American to get booed on purpose. But then no, him and Flash Funk shook hands and it was meant to be, two good guys having a friendly match and the crowd was having none of the Patriot or Flash not Funk, want- really this match was kind of dead in the water
1: did not put this is it just that my most amusing thing I just my note here is um Flash Funk is just being put on pause by the Patriot here because like it's too they're like oil and water that nothing seems to work here it's rest hold city this is another crowd killer here and uh, the biggest thing that's st- the thing I popped for was the Patriots entrance where he didn't know where to put the American flag. <laughs> like he yeah. comes out, he waves it. And normally I guess like there's a little flag holder in one of the ring posts, but he's just sort of like, there's nothing. Um, I can't just put it on the, I can't just throw it on the floor. That's, you can't.
0: Do that's that. illegal or whatever. Yeah. He was not <laughs> yeah. going to do that. It was real awkward because he couldn't do that. Couldn't yeah. bring himself <laughs> to drop the flag. So he just <laughs> fumbled around the corner for a, for a minute.
1: I will still say this. Um, Uncle Slam is still a great finisher, but um, I've my last note is Patriot wins with Uncle Slam to a smattering of indifference. Yeah, because that's all this match was.
0: <laughs> I thought they booed everything he did, and then when he hit the finish, they just didn't care anymore. They didn't even yeah. boo. They were like, "All right, please end." The good, it's like, comment- thank you. We're done. Good, like the commentary in this match, though, was the most interesting thing, because you know, like. Um, you hear like Bruce Pritchard and Jim Cornette and like some of those old guys bring up that Vince McMahon, you know, hates pronouns and he wants you to Hmm. say names. He actually said it in this match. Hmm. So JR at one point says like, oh, look at what he's doing to him. And Vince goes, what do you mean? You, you, that's a pronoun. And then he said, what do you mean? we have saved their ass because one of them was like, we saved the British. And he's like, what do you yeah, mean we? Fine. He goes, that's a pronoun again. Like Vince was just putting it all Vince out was, there in public.
1: Vince was like, you, you did, from the minute you hit, heard him welcome us to the arena, you knew that this Vince, this was loose Vince, uh, yeah. as simple as that. Um, you then get another LOD awkward shouty promo and Hawk does some weird little poetry as well at the end. That's bizarre.
0: Yeah, he did some sort of nursery rhyme. It must have been some British reference. British thing, every, you reckon? Every yeah. now and then Hawk's promos would get weird and he would drop something like this in it, which you'd never expect because you're like, okay, I can't hear anything you're saying because you're like peeking and just yelling. <laughs> and then he'll say something weird like this and you're like, what?
1: Was yeah, he just doing like it just
0: thing? to amuse himself?
1: Who knows? Is it like one of those things like he's got a friend at home. It's like, hey, if you say this nursery rhyme during <laughs> your promo, I'll get you a case of beer or something. Like he's just trying to pop a mate back in the States. But um, uh, so it's it's the Legion of Doom versus the Godwins. And man, oh, man, the, the, the best part is did you. So there's a giant sign there in the crowd that said HBK is gay. Oh, and no. it came up on screen. And did you hear Vince say, uh-oh? When oh, no, I missed that. <laughs> Go back, go back and why if you can just go back to that moment because the sign pops up on screen, and you hear it go, uh oh, and then it just cuts away. It just it's just so good. Um, one thing I did notice was um the Godwins in the attitude era, they're getting more and more like the Briscoe brothers with each pay-per-view. That's what I feel.
0: Like not the classic Briscoe brothers, the ring no, of no, Honor like, Briscoe. Yeah. Brothers. <laughs> I wish boys, they were Briscoe. turning into um <laughs> <laughs> Gerald Briscoe and you know that, that would be amazing
1: no no it's it's them boys Briscoe brothers the, uh, the chicken farmers uh, from Ring of Honor yeah, because they just seem to be getting more and more degenerate I'll just put this is another stiff match from the Godwins um, it's like real taken to the woodshed these guys just seem anytime these two go up in the ring like clearly there is a lot of animosity between these two because they just want to just absolutely um, hurt each other but that made it Look, not a bad match and not a good match. It was a decent match.
0: Yeah, it was watchable because the crowd was so into it. And yeah, there there was that weird realism where it's like, why do you keep putting these guys against each other when, you know, one team broke the neck of the other guy? It was almost Mm. like Vince wanted to just see what would happen when they would fight. And it did feel like just, you know, a big man brawl. It wasn't bad. The crowd loved the um, LOD hot tag where they just went crazy and killed them, and they actually hit one of them with the Doomsday device this time.
1: Yeah, yeah, a, a very decent match there too. But um, yeah, look, the crowd really helped that match because LOD is still over, even though they're heading towards past their prime territory here and very much into rambling Scott Steiner mode when it comes <laughs> to their uh, promo skills. Um, now, did you happen to notice the melter sign in the crowd and pick up what it said? Because I couldn't
0: quite decipher it. Yeah, yeah, that, that was the one where it popped hmm. up. It was a guy in the entrance. It said, Meltzer is God.
1: Meltzer is so, God, there, you, <laughs> there
0: go. you go. The British fans were um, real smarky. There was also a bit of commentary in that match where um, King said that, you know, because King's trying to use more of his British um, terminology. He said, King, King said that JR was with a woman last night. She was an 18 stone slapper. And I thought that was just such a g- great... <laughs> Turn
1: of praise. My um, like stars. Um, our next little segment is JR in the ring. He's with Ken Shamrock. He gets a pretty solid pop at this point in time. Now, Shamrock's kind of figured himself out a little bit mm. um, as we've sort of watched and uh, move on since WrestleMania 13, which is remarkable when you consider he's a referee at WrestleMania 13 and now he's one of the biggest stars, well, on his way to becoming one of their big stars or at least a, a team player here. Uh, now, Shamrock's injured because of he was uh, got a punctured lung, thanks to the nation. One thing too is uh, Shamrock is still pretty, he's pretty dry, like he's he hasn't quite got his cadence yet. He's still popular, and the booze all of a sudden just start flurrying in. And I was just thinking like, oh, no, they're turning on him. But no, the crowd sees Billy Gunn enter. <laughs>
0: Yeah, not just Billy Gunn, Rockabilly. Rockabilly. Who (laughs) who doesn't even have Honky Tonk Man anymore or even his cool jacket. It's just Billy Gunn in jeans, dancing Mm. for some reason. He comes out as, you know, the loser who's going to get beat up. But as Rockabilly is getting into the ring, Shamrock, who, like he said, doesn't have his promo skills up. he said The Harlem Globetrotter? He goes, I didn't know we had the Harlem Globetrotters here tonight. What on earth does that that mean? mean? And how is that an insult? Isn't that like a good thing? It was so weird. Like, that's a guy who doesn't know how to say an insult trying one.
1: Now, if if it was, say, the Patriot that came out, I could see why he'd call them the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. If it it was someone that was like eight foot eight with a basketball, I could see. But (laughs) Billy Gunn wearing jeans is the this thing
0: away from a Harlem Globetrotter. Billy Gunn loses all the time, whereas the yeah. Harlem Globetrotters never lose. Like, none yeah. of that made sense.
1: Oh, it was just so weird. But yeah, uh, Shamrock puts Billy Gunn in an ankle lock and before the referees pull him away, which means Billy Gla- Billy Gunn was flown to the UK for the <laughs> purpose of being put in an ankle lock, and that's it.
0: Yeah, good night work for Rockabilly, though.
1: Yeah, and, and you're right. He, he's smoking guns, Billy Gunn, uh, without the without even Bart gun with him, he's just he's in purgatory,
0: he's in gimmick purgatory at the moment. You wouldn't uh, have picked it that he would recover in just a few months, but yeah, we're, we're very close to him recovering.
1: Yeah, talk about turning into the skid that's that's pulling the nose up on the <laughs> plane. definitely. Right well,
0: I there. guess that's the Harlem Globetrotter comparison. You think, oh, no, is he losing, but then he just comes back and wins, so you know, he's getting there. <laughs>
1: Ken Shamrock with a long form joke. Yeah, there. that's what it's that's idiot. what it's all
0: about. Uh, we get we get ourselves a Bret Hart
1: interview with Vince at the desk. This is a common thing for Bret Hart. It's such a weird little the the interview the commentators do pipe in through the PA, obviously, but like interacting with the with the the video screen. Essentially, it's almost like all I've all I've written down is great audio mixing.
0: <laughs> Look. This segment I really want to talk about because you've really said that Bret Hart's 97 is really bad and, mm-hmm. you know, they can't kind of bury him. And, and I say, but he ends on a high note. 97 is a great year for Brett. This interview is very awkward. Brett yep. Hart being in England thought he was going to be super over because a lot of his promos weren't just Canada loves me. It was every country loves me except the, except America. And they would also always show clips of him in the UK, him in India, him in, you know, Australia, yeah, whatever. South Africa, like, Kuwait, South Africa, all Africa. that sort all, of stuff. Yeah. All the kids love him around the world. This promo was meant to be Brett saying, look, the English crowd loves me. The English crowd was booing Brett. And because this was live, JR and Vince had to end up going with it. And then they said yeah. to him, Vince said, is like, uh, the crowd doesn't like you. Brett looked legitimately (laughs) defeated he looked so sad because as we've mentioned everything gets to Brett he takes this very seriously and then at one point Brett was like oh they still like me and respect me and then Vince was like they're booing you and then he's like does it matter to you that they don't like you and Brett wasn't even in character he's like no was all dejected and he goes yeah it does matter to me vince and it was real awkward I, vince was like yeah you son of a bitch that's why i'm firing you it was real real and it,
1: and, and it was almost to the point where this like to me it also seemed like you know it's like brett's had this conversation like, probably privately just like you know like, look i don't know if you are a face <laughs> everywhere maybe it's just kind of like no no trust me he's like <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we put you yeah, on the big screen yeah. in
1: front of everyone when he, no one can help you.
0: <laughs> he called him on it. They must've been on the plane. And Brett was like, you watch when we get to England, put me on live. I'm going to be over. And Vince was like, all right. And <laughs> you then, you know, you know, Vince backstage would have been like, Oh, so you wanted the 12 million. Did you like, no.
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Speaking of hearts, we get to our next match, which is Vader versus Owen Hart. I've completely forgotten that Vader is still around. He's (laughs) such a bit piece in 1997. Like from what we saw of him in 1996, like he was a main event player. He was such a, like, he's just a there. He's, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a pawn on the chessboard. Like he's really
0: nothing. We got to give him credit though, because yeah, like you in 97, Vader might as well not be there in the WWE. He's had two really good matches, along with Undertaker from Canadian Stampede. And this one, I couldn't remember mm. this match at all. Vader and Owen Hart. And what was so funny about it, Bret Hart, the crowd having none of him. Owen Hart comes out to a Loved really it. big pop. He was a good guy. Giving kids high fives. It was so funny
1: huge pop an absolutely huge pop and and maybe it's also too because he's clearly like he's playing the ray mysterio sort of role it's like yeah. ray mysterio batista sort of thing here because he's pinballing around like this it's going out of fashion you want to talk about the crowd losing their mind when he actually slams vader the
0: crowd goes ballistic Yeah, that was really funny. So Owen Hart did the old-fashioned thing where like he was the heroic good guy. He couldn't get Vader up for a couple of slams and then on his comeback when he finally hit it. Yeah, it was like Hogan slamming King Kong Bundy or something. It was really good. Owen even hit a Frankensteiner on Vader and he Hmm. even did like his, you know, blue blazer type face comeback. He did the missile drop kick, the kick up like playing to the crowd. It was really, really cool to see Owen Hart be a straight up face in a match.
1: I've written down to here this match shows Owen had the potential to be an absolute superstar. Yeah. Like it's such a shame when you do see matches like this because he could have been someone and I never understood why and we'll get to it you know in coming months when we talk about the aftermath of uh, Survivor Series 97 why because it's got a built-in story to have Owen there as the the sole uh, member of the Heart Foundation like there were so many great stories but you know it is what it is but um Vader gets the win a, a fantastic finish, I thought. You know, he, he catches Owen off the top rope and gives him a power slam, which makes sense. Like, it all makes sense, like, because Vader is a bigger dude. Um, Owen, it, it's just one of those big guy will always win sort of matches.
0: Yeah, it did feel like that. But to me, it was like, Owen was the biggest star at this point. It was really weird that... Oh, correct. Had. Um hmm. But then again, it was like weird. Remember, we we're watching the Royal Rumble 97 and Vader beat The Undertaker. We were like, why'd he win that match? So yeah. someone there was pushing that like, look, Vader should win sometimes, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's, it's definitely one of those little strange ones there. Vader gets the win. Yeah, maybe they're, they're trying to salvage him for something. It's like, you know, it's like, don't worry, Leon. We've got something for you down the road. We'll give you a win over Owen. How's <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, we get a little SummerSlam recap, and there is a promo by the Undertaker that is just in full Dead Man lingo. He's just all in when it comes to the Dead Man stuff. He's he might is he in a graveyard or is it just a dark room? Like he, that they couldn't get more Dead man-y if they wanted to try.
0: And it was shot from under, like it was like mm. the camera was on the floor looking up at the Undertaker. It was very moody and spooky. I got to say. Did The Undertaker get worse at these promos at the end of his career? Because he was always good at them. But I, there was a turning point, I don't know when, maybe like 2010, where he just couldn't do it anymore. And he just, I don't know, something fell off in the later years. And I love The Undertaker. It's,
1: I reckon, tw- WrestleMania 24 before his, his first match with Triple H. Is that the one? Probably- no, no, 20, 25 is... Maybe Shawn 26.
0: Michaels. Yeah, the end of the Shawn Michaels feud, but something feels off. Like, <laughs> something you just how good these are. And yeah.
1: Yeah, because it's almost like he's got a perfect ending to like, because the Shawn Michaels undertake a rivalry, absolutely perfect. And then he gets in the whole, you know, um, I'm taking souls and digging holes <laughs> kind of thing. And you're just like,
0: what are you doing, man? <laughs> and now he's introducing Pitbull in Saudi Arabia. So it's been a real, real turn for the
1: Undertaker. <laughs> I still reckon the ultimate bit, because I always sort of had like, you know, like, oh, look. He, he's, I'm going to give him a little bit of leeway here because he's the Undertaker. When he said to Roman Reigns at the ultimate thrill ride, it will be your last ride. That's when you're like,
0: righto, I'm out. Yeah, there must have been a change in riders, and whoever the new guy was just couldn't do it for the Undertaker. Yeah.
1: Uh, we then get to the Undertaker versus Bret Hart. And was it, is it weird or did you find it like that clean entrance from the Undertaker where it's just complete silence? From the commentary team, it like let's the aura of like, it is something to sort of behold, isn't it? Like, it just made it seem so big.
0: Yeah, and I think they did that because they were in England and it was like, you, you know, you haven't seen The Undertaker in years on pay-per-view mm. in that country. And it was really cool. Sometimes it's good when they lay out and just let The Undertaker's entrance speak for itself because the undertaker was super over like Brett got a few boos and he looked Mm -hmm. very annoyed during his entrance, (laughs) but the undertaker was yeah, a real hero here. I've
1: put this, uh, one of my main notes is this Bret Hart is the, in my mind, the definitive WWF form. Like when you remember the like how Brett has been portrayed by the narrative uh, and, you know, his image is being a lot better now, but this is the Brett that I used to always remember, at least for a good chunk of my wrestling fandom. The, pee- the pissed off, you know, like, it's, he's in the Survivor Series gear, he's just looking just with contempt as he comes out to the crowd, like, this is definitive Bret Hart WWF.
0: Yeah, and, and it really is good. I love this Bret Hart, and it's a real shame that it couldn't work out for longer in WWE or WCW because it's a great, I don't even know if character is the right word to be honest yeah. it's just a great thing to take advantage of that this guy was so angry and so annoyed with the circumstances. It's like he's forced to come to work you Yeah know? <laughs>
1: and he's and the thing is so he's the champion like Mm. it comes and it's just sort of like it's just like i can't believe that i'm here in front of these all these punks (laughs)
0: yeah like like the guy at work who's really good at his job is your manager but he's always angry it's like what are you annoyed at idiot yeah
1: it's like, mate, you were, oh, it's like, and you're working with The Undertaker. It's not like you <laughs> yeah, put some, it's like, it's like you were, you were fine against The Patriot, but no, not The Undertaker. But Although,
0: anyway. To be fair, he won the world title in August at SummerSlam and Brett hasn't main evented a pay-per-view and he doesn't until Survivor Series. So he goes three months without main eventing as chant.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is true. Uh, it's almost in the CM Punk world, first world champion on sort a of mold. But um, the crowd, as you said, is absolutely hot from the opening bell. There is some absolute manhandling by the Undertaker to begin. Uh, it spills to the outside. They brawl up the ramp. And JR even does the, the referee's been a little bit lenient here. But um, Taker just absolutely goes to town on Brett. It's fantastic to watch. And Brett sells it like gunshots every time.
0: Yeah, I thought the um sort of the way this match was put together was better than the SummerSlam one because we mentioned at SummerSlam, Brett was in control too long and just because it's The Undertaker, that feels weird. You know, a smaller guy shouldn't beat up The Undertaker mm. for the whole match. Here, they sort of balance it out and it was really good. Although, I, the only thing I thought as good as this match was and then thinking about the SummerSlam match and then even thinking back to their match at the um 96 Royal Rumble Bret Hart Hmm. and The Undertaker never had a match as good as Bret did with Kevin Nash or Shawn Michaels did with The Undertaker, even though it's similar sizes for both of those guys. You would think Bret and The Undertaker would click as good as those other combinations, but Hmm. this was the one where it, it never reaches the peak. And legitimately, if you've never seen Diesel versus Bret Hart have a match, go watch him. Those matches are better than this. But very very cool.
1: Um, there's some Bret Hart goes through his greatest hits. There's oh, what yeah. I've sort of written down here. Like you know he's doing that little thing, you know where he works the leg, and like sort of bounces off the bottom rope and does that little thing where he crushes him with his with his ass. And then it's it, it, it's it's just a weird thing. Like I always find it a weird move because he gets such elevation to gently sit on someone's <laughs> <Yeah>. knee. <laughs>
0: does want to like, break yeah. his knee? But yeah, it is one of those <laughs> classic Bret things. He runs through it all. There's one really cool bit too where the Undertaker keeps sitting up and Brett just keeps kicking him back down. I hmm. thought that was really good. Um, another
1: little cool one that I, uh, another spot that I love too was um, Undertaker reversing the figure four. Because you, do, you wouldn't, like, have you ever seen the Undertaker do anything technical in this time? Like, we've, we've established now, like, he's a high flyer. He's a power guy. We never see a technical side to him, though. And the fact that he's able to reverse the figure four kind of, like, sort of shows that new side of him as well.
0: Yeah, obviously, he would become, you know, ultimate fighting dead man later on <laughs> when he'd start doing Hell's Gate. Triangle chokes and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Here in the figure four, reversing it, that was good. He knows his scientific wrestling. That was cool. Also, when he was in the figure four, the crowd was cheering for him. And I forgot this that it wasn't always the Undertaker chant that we would hmm. get forever. In this era, they would chant "Rest in peace, rest in peace." That's right, yeah. and that stopped after a few years. I wonder why, but anyway, it was very video gamey because that would, you know, be in the attitude game.
1: Yeah, and and it also was in um, uh, WrestleMania, the arcade game as well. But uh, yes. there is a pretty cool sequence that I thought that I really want to point out. And I've got a lot of notes for this one, so I don't know, So bear with me. <laughs> um, there's a very cool sequence where Brett, he counters a leg drop from the Undertaker. So the Undertaker literally does a leg drop. He somehow turns that into a sharpshooter. Now, at this point in time, is the Undertaker the only person to
0: power out of the sharpshooter? They mentioned that again because he did it at SummerSlam and they lost hmm. their minds. I'm like, oh my God, no one's ever of no the sharpshooter. So yeah, Undertaker is the only person who like physically broke the sharpshooter. Didn't get the ropes, you know, didn't, yeah, reverse it or whatever. He just kicked him off. It was pretty cool. Also that that counter they did, the leg drop in like catching it, turning it into the sharpshooter.
1: Hmm. Brett
0: used that in 91 to beat Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam for the IC title. Um, yeah. And I don't think he ever did it again until this match because when he did it, I was like, oh, that's the Mr. Perfect finish. Such a great yeah.
1: reversal. Yeah, because I think because that was I'm like, oh geez, that's a that's one that's a new one in the arsenal because Brett always has the five moves of doom, mm. you know, the off, off the uh off the, off the second turn buckle, the his greatest hits essentially. And so does John Cena, so does everyone to everyone. be honest. But um it's just like you know, people give a lot of shtick to John Cena and not so much to Brett, but uh which sounds like I'm really, really shitting on the bloke <laughs> because I do really like him as a wrestler. But um so Brett actually you see him sort of lean into the heel mode a little bit later on in the match because he gets the ring bell and then there's a part where the cameraman gets taken out. Now that part that's not planned, is it? Like
0: I thought the cameraman was just in the wrong spot. Yeah, he's got yeah. knocked around, but it it just worked. This match got more chaotic as it went. Like the match gets more exciting as it went it was starting to kick into high gear here.
1: Really, really cool here. There's a bit where Brett goes for a tombstone and then it gets reversed by uh, Undertaker and Brett tries to reverse it again and he, he gets... The finish is just so incredible because after he reverses the tombstone, he gets stuck in the ring ropes, but like hung in it. Like it's both ropes. Like, you know, the, the old it's WrestleMania like the Mick, 10 big
0: Foley getting... When he gets choked
1: in the ropes. And I thought this was a pretty cool finish because the ref is trying to help, you know, free Brett, because obviously he doesn't want to see the bloke get strangled to death by the ring ropes. But Taker doesn't want to bar it and starts like just beating on Brett. Mm. So the ref's like, All right, I gotta call this man because you're trying to kill the dude. So (laughs) that's it. Brett gets the win here, and it's such a creative finish. And the crowd at this point in time, do you find that they crowd turned on Undertaker?
0: I think they did because they were annoyed it was a DQ and it almost felt like Undertaker caused it to be yeah. a DQ. And they're like, <laughs> ah, yeah. oh, no, you ruined it. I, I will say, if this match didn't end in a DQ, I would say it's as, as good as some of those other matches I mentioned. But yeah, just, oh, just... This was better than the SummerSlam one, but the DQ ending was like, ah, oh, you know, what a weird way to end. Although... We then at got least the it's a creative at the DQ. It, it was cr- and oh, and that reversal though. You're right. The tombstone, mm-hmm. tombstone, thrown into the ropes was very cool. Like never seen mm-hmm. that. But then we get all the um uh, officials shenanigans come out and the shenanigans and the Undertaker. You know, <laughs> chokeslams, Gerald Briscoe. That was it. Was kind of fun. The crowd ended on a high note. I will say one thing. I love that the WWE does and WCW didn't because we've seen it happen on their pay per views in a DQ title match um the WWE will always announce at the end the winner of the match the Undertaker they'll get that pop but then to either piss off the crowd or you know rub it in that like it wasn't a real ending they'll wait a few seconds and then say but still the WWE champion Brett hit man hard yeah WCW didn't do that but WWE did I think it's a nice touch
1: it is a nice touch because you get the little pop for like, whoa, they won. And then it's just immediately killed. Yeah, it's with, like, oh, but he's not it. the chef. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. it does at least leave on a high note there. We then get to a promo from HBK. He does another one of those promos to camera via Vince at the desk. And it's kind of cool because HBK is just an arrogant POS here at the moment. And he promises to become the first ever Grand Slam champion. And then makes his that little thing that they would do sometimes, where it just pro, direct from the promo straight to the entranceway. And you were, you've brought this up numerous times on, but I reckon that they they it's something I need to bring back because it is so cool.
0: Yeah, main event promo, main event guy says his thing, and then his music hits, and then he literally walks out. I don't know why they don't do it, but it's so cool. And Shawn Michaels here, like to me, Shawn Michaels is great on the mic because he doesn't really have catchphrases. Like he kind of hmm. works it in here. This is the first time on pay-per-view he's called himself the headliner, the main event, the showstopper. That would become a thing, but he kind of just talks. Sometimes it's cheesy. Sometimes he's just talking and then he's like, and now I'm going to walk out for my match. Like Yeah, that's good.
1: <laughs> yeah it is really cool. And you want to talk about a mixed reaction for a guy that like, I, I feel like Brett was probably in the back hating the mixed response that Sean, because if in his mind, he would have loved it if Sean got booed. But the fact that Sean was getting booed because he's a heel, but he's also getting a lot of cheers as well because he is Sean Michaels.
0: Yeah, he gets an interesting reaction and he kind of plays into both. He kind of plays into the people who like him. He'll give them a five or a hug if they're a girl or a kid. If they're Mm -hmm. booing him, he was doing crotch chops and a lot of them. So (laughs) I I like that Sean Michaels was just like, hey, you either like me or you don't, and I'll play to both.
1: Um, a British Bulldog then enters with his sister who's been battling cancer and sits her down uh, with his, the rest of his family and friends at ringside. And got to say that Bulldog has about 99.9% of the crowd support and the cheers after yeah, yeah. he sits in the ring.
0: That's the thing. The crowd cheered Shawn Michaels. You know, a few of them cheered when he came out. But then when Bulldog came, even those people who probably cheered Shawn Michaels, they cheered Bulldog as well. Like, mm-hmm. this is their hometown guy. It's five years after SummerSlam 92. He's still a superstar in that country. I do want to say, actually, before the match, on Sean's entrance, did you notice the point where he was hugging two women and there was a kid trying to hug him as well, but the kid was shoving a British bulldog toy in Shawn Michaels' face? (laughs) So, Sean grabbed the toy, looked at the kid, dropped it in his tights and then pulled it out of his tights and threw it at the kid. I did. Awesome. <laughs> that's,
1: that's pretty cool. Oh man, he Sean Mo- 90 97 Sean Michaels is just something else. <laughs> yeah. Like we talk we talk about how good 96 Sean Michaels is and he's phenomenal. 97 just he just ramps it up a notch. Uh, before, yeah. unfortunately, getting his back completely destroyed in it's 1998, him,
0: it's him going out in a blaze of glory. It's literally a man spiralling from the you know the heights to just yeah out of control. Him and, Brett, kind of, they, him and Brett, Yeah, it was just a really saying. weird parallel where they just both self-destruct in different ways. Yeah,
1: they're both on that meteoric rise together and they, they burn so bright two, yeah. in two different directions and then just completely come crashing down. It is, I've never actually, like, they're so intertwined together Ooh. that you don't realize how big the parallels are. Um, We then see, like, the Bulldog, though, he is, he's brought his A-game here. Funnily enough, Brett will often take credit for the Wembley 92 match at SummerSlam, saying that, like, oh, Bulldog was just so overwhelmed I had to talk him through everything, but You can tell that Bulldog's here to work.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I kind of get that, whatever, you know, Bulldog circumstances in 92. But Bulldog obviously held his own too. And in this match, I think Shawn Michaels and Bulldog had great chemistry too, just like Brett and Bulldog did as well. Bulldog was obviously very good, you know. And... and and
1: I know that I know it's very common to sort of say like, Oh, Sean was a complete dick and he was an ass and all he like, he only cared about himself. He's doing some incredible selling for bulldog. Like he's making bulldog look like a million bucks here.
0: Yeah. These guys like when, you know, they had it flipped. They had that awesome match at King of the ring 96 that we watched last year. Everything swapped here. Sean's the heel bulldogs, the face. And Sean gives bulldog everything like a little tap from Bulldog and Sean Michaels is doing back backflips over the ropes, yeah. and he'll, you know, he pressed Sean around the ring. Just they were doing arm drags, technical wrestling, but Bulldog would always get the upper hand. So it showed, even though Shawn Michaels is good, Bulldog was that step ahead on this night. It was really, really good.
1: And going off that too, it also shows too that Bulldog is also not as ring savvy as Sean is because there's a bit where Bulldog puts HBK into a surfboard and because he's as he like gets the full extension of the uh, of uh, Sean Michaels there and fully stretches him out he's got both of his um shoulders pinned on the mat mm-hmm. and the ref counts it and Bulldog realizes kicks out at three releases Sean and then goes to remonstrate with the ref and be like, what the hell's going on there? And the ref's explaining to him like, dude, you had your shoulders down. And in that bit of distraction, Sean gets the upper hand. Hmm. So it is kind of cool how the bits where Sean gets the upper hand shows it's it's not due to like oh, momentum. time for the momentum ship. It's a logical one.
0: Yeah. Which again, is a really old school thing that these guys would do a lot of. There were a lot of times where even when Bulldog was going to press Sean Michaels, He was going to throw him over the top rope, but the ref was like, you can't, because at the time that was a DQ. Because again, it was Bulldog like being excited and not realizing, hey, he might break the rules and he might not, you know, might lose his title or no, not lose his title, but, you know, get DQ'd. It was really good. I do want to point Uh, out, there was a crowd sign that I noticed in this match and shout out to our good friend, who I didn't know was at this show, but there was a sign at one point, a guy in the front row said, I'm Scott Falstead, who is a oh. writer for Muscle and Fitness. Muscle <laughs> and Fitness. UK, who is a great You're kidding. guy. We've hung out with him. And yeah, and then I had to pause it and, and take a look. And it was him. It was Scott. That's Check amazing. Scott Falstead, muscle and fitness. He does interviews with all the WWE superstars, like Roman Reigns and everyone. And Good yeah, dude too. Great guy. And yeah, the fact that he was front row for one night only, that's like, wow, we're going to have to, Get a deep dive on that, but yeah, that, that is funny.
1: very, very cool because it'd be interesting to see the aftermath. Because I'd be very curious to see the aftermath of this paper. But um, I uh, look Rick Rude then comes out too. He makes his presence felt. They always refer to him as the insurance policy. Um, I, I love the the lines of like, oh, global coverage. <laughs> like, <it's Yeah>. so, <laughs> they really take the insurance metaphor a little bit too far sometimes. But um, this is, and I met keep mention. I mentioned this before. Bulldog keeps turning his back on HBK. He keeps getting distracted by other things. And it is to his detriment because that's when HBK always capitalizes.
0: Yeah. And, and again, so now he has Rick Roode out there. So Sean can get the upper hand because, you know, Sean hey, changes the tide at yeah. this point. And that's how he, yeah, turns the tide. And then we get Triple H coming out with China. So again, every time Bulldog looks like he's finally going to put Sean away, Sean now has more backup. I thought it was weird that the Heart Foundation don't come out during the match. Yeah, Logically, you would think, oh my God, imagine the pop if they came out too, but it all plays into the ending. I forgot how the ending was set up, um, but at one point, Bulldog goes for the, the power slam, Rude trips him, Sean's on the outside of the ring. They end up on the outside. Bulldog is going to power slam Shawn Michaels on the outside of the ring, but they have a weird sort of elevated platform connecting to the guardrail, and bulldog gets his leg caught between the the mat it's sort of like the, the edge rail.
1: yeah it's sort of the edge of the uh, of uh, cuz there is it's sli- the ring is slightly elevated yeah like the the ground yeah and he gets his foot sort of ca- caught there and then gets absolutely uh, an absolute mugging from uh, what will soon be dx
0: yeah at this point they're not dx they they look at the camera at one point and, and sort of call each other triple threat That might have been a name they were throwing around, which is funny because there's four of them because of Rude. But I'm guessing (laughs) they were like, no, we don't really count Rick Rude. Because it always felt like they never really counted Rick Rude anyway.
1: Rick Rude never looked like he was there to wrestle, too. He always, like, it was just Rick Rude just looked like their accountant was there uh, for the ride. But um, is
0: he ever really a member of DX? He is is
1: classified as a member of DX, technically. Uh, Well, this is the thing. It's sort of like how there's only one ever time where sean michaels is part of like what we know is dx and that is at raw 1000 because um because yeah. at raw remember at raw 1000 where everyone's at road dog x park da, 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 and I actually make notes like this is the first time we've ever had everyone in dx at the ring at the same time
0: which but- is really weird because i've mm. like gone back and watched the um episodes of raw from 98 99 you know when sean michaels was the commissioner Mm-hmm. it's not official but when he turns face there's a couple of episodes where he aligns with dx but he's not part of dx even though he's obviously the founder of the group and their friend again like yeah. he'll he'll hang out with them but never as dx really but weird.
1: 98 98 99 sean doesn't have an allegiance until smackdown sort of starts where he really sides in with triple h and then gets taken off tv because he sides with the corporation remember there's a bit where he helps the rock out yeah uh, it, but- it, he's just he's such a floater but he never sort of has an allegiance
0: yeah that that's the weird thing because he was against dx when he was part of the corporation but then when he leaves the corporation he's a face but he's not in dx he just kind of mm. helps them a couple helps of times them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: it's almost like the union. Remember that really short-lived stable with um, Big Show, Mankind, <laughs> Test, and, um, and Shamrock. Shamrock. Yeah, yeah. It's there for like one, like two roars, and that's it. Yeah. Um, as I sort of said, yeah, it. Triple H and China really, really just you know once once <laughs> Rude, China, and Triple H just have a beatdown that is borderline shoot style mugging here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this gets like, okay, this match... Very uncomfortable to isn't watch. ...isn't fair anymore, and it gets really uncomfortable. They beat the hell out of Bulldog. Triple H hits him with a pedigree on the outside, and Bulldog is still trying to fight. He's still got some fight left in him, but then Sean... HBK
1: is taunting...
0: Yeah, um, oh my God. <laughs> ...taunting
1: Bulldog's family. It's just like, oh my God.
0: The heat is building, and like you said, 97 Shawn Michaels is another level. He's giving it to the crowd. They are going crazy... Sean rips off Bulldog's knee brace and starts working on the leg even more because it was caught in the guardrail. He then throws it.
1: Yeah, go on.
0: Yeah, he throws the um the knee brace at Bulldog's sister who is dying of cancer. Yeah, (laughs) it gets real, real heavy, and then he puts in the figure four. And again, Bulldog doesn't tap out right away because they really milk this. It's just Mm. the crowd being angry for about five minutes.
1: And I reckon too, because that's the hope spot. That's the one's like, no, 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 this is this is yeah. the this is Bulldog will come back, but no, he doesn't.
0: <laughs> he doesn't. passes
1: out, and and they 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 do the thing. They try to do the Austin thing. It's like he never gave up. Bulldog never get, but it's they don't want to bar of it. The crowd is livid.
0: <laughs> yeah, we we sort of mentioned this at um you know Fall Brawl for WCW. They did a great sort of like sad ending with, you know, Mm. the NWO killing Ric Flair with the steel cage. This puts that to shame. The heat in the building here in England. They weren't just throwing rubbish. They were throwing glass beer bottles at Shawn Michaels and DX. Like, they were angry.
1: They were super angry. And to the point to Diana Smith gets into the ring. And this is the part that I wonder where I'm just sort of like, it's like, surely, like, okay, so, like, she didn't just, you know, she didn't just get up like think. right, I've had enough of this and get into the ring. Like clearly there's something part of the storyline, but it does seem, it seems so real, doesn't it?
0: She looked legitimately upset. She yeah. looked really, really angry. And it must have been uncomfortable to a point because supposedly the point was that Shawn Michaels, so he wins the, the European championship here. And the plan was that they would have another show in England in 1998 and Bulldog would win it back. Win it back, Obviously, that doesn't happen. So you just end on the most angry crowd reaction, basically, they've had in the WWE on pay-per-view.
1: An angry crowd reaction, plus Brett and Owen actively, like, they come out to the rescue. And the way that they come out, it generally looks like they are fearful that something might happen to their sister. (laughs)
0: yeah it was yeah it was really really yeah uncomfortable brett looked legitimately angry as he always does Hmm. and they don't even get revenge on dx that's the other thing they come out to like comfort bulldog and dx just go around the ring and there's no fight.
1: yeah there's absolutely no fight and the last shot is dx standing triumphantly at the the entrance ramp
0: yeah and and there's kind of an iconic shot they would use it all the time where Triple H lifts Shawn Michaels up by the waist and sort of carries him up the aisle while Shawn's just celebrating with the title, just relishing in the booze of England. It is one hell of an ending. This match and then the post-match was excellent.
1: Yeah, it was It was pretty stellar too. I, and I've written down top to bottom, uh, aside from the Leaf-Cassidy match, you're hard-pressed to find something bad here. Uh, on grand, z- on not grand zero, on one night only. In fact, I'd even go as far as say because the Leaf Cassidy uh, match is so short, it and the bad matches. Because oh, I forgot about the Patriot as well. But <laughs> but you know, you've got a good Los Barucos match. When you've got a good Los Barucos match in there, that's actually on par with other good tag team matches. I think that says a lot about the quality of the pay per view
0: absolutely and and you know i called it early in the year i couldn't remember when exactly it starts but at a certain point 1997 wwe killing it like i think mm. it was from yeah canadian stampede they've hit another level these pay-per-views have been so much fun
1: they are they have been incredible to watch and next up we've got bad blood but before we get to bad blood we've got to get through our mvps who do you reckon is the mvp of uh, one night
0: only I'm going to give it to Shawn Michaels. Uh, he is just an absolute well, piece of crap on this show. He's no one else. Best, he's the best wrestler on the show. He's athletic like a maniac. His selling is great, but then the crowd work and just yeah, leaning into it. He was the best in this. There's show. no
1: one else. I there's like the nearest you can get to you know I reckon is maybe Owen Hart, but that's because he had a great match and he was so over. But the gap between Shawn and the rest of the field is it's crazy. It's yeah. like it, there's clear daylight between them. And Sean, if you could find, if you could justify why Sean isn't the best performer on this card, I'd love to hear that argument. Because, well, And there, it can't be, oh, he was a jerk.
0: It feels, It feels like there's been a pushback. So for about, you know, 10 to 15 years, we've had sort of a consensus that damn, Sean Michaels might be the best ever because of his great second run. But it feels mm. like in the past maybe year or two, there's been a weird pushback from, you know, certain people and like CM Punk where people are like, Brett's clearly better than Sean. Look, yeah. take your pick. They're both great. They're one both fantastic, it yeah. just depends on what you feel like that day. But to downplay one to say the other's better, I think is wrong. Like you can say Brett's the best, fine. But to you can say Sean's the best. And you can't then say, no, nah, but he wasn't as good as Brett. Like,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: It flip-flops each night. Shawn Michaels here is the best in the world.
1: What is quite funny, too, is I love how anytime someone does mention, like, one big rebuttal about Shawn, about Brett being better than Shawn is, one, just like, oh, well, you know, if if you ignore Shawn, no, I don't choose to accept Shawn's second run because Brett never had a second run. It's like, you can't, like,
0: it's just like... No, you you can. You know mm, why? Because Shawn Michaels... Wasn't even Brett's age until a couple of years into his second run. Brett mm. was 40 in 97. Sean wasn't 40 until like 2005 or something. Yeah. That's not and, a fair comparison.
1: And the other one too is, and I know it's it's apples and oranges here too, but yeah. And so like, oh well, well, Brett had his career robbed, like at his prime. Like he was only hitting his step in WCW. What do you think out of Sean in 98? <laughs> we talk, we talk <laughs> about how. The guy didn't wrestle for four years.
0: Yeah, look, they're both great. Both of them have different styles that both hold up. That's the other thing that's annoying, too, where I've heard, like, you know, the argument or oh, Sean's stuff hasn't held up over the years. What are you talking about? His style oh, is what's defined the modern era. There are no young bucks. There is no Adam Cole. There is mm. no, you know, this style of Jericho. Or- yeah, Jericho. There's
1: no Jericho.
0: Yeah, Brett's stuff is bulletproof for a different reason. Everything mm. looks real, everything makes sense sean michaels it makes sense too but it's also over the top and flashy like yeah anyway pick and i poison. Guarantee- they're both good yeah. but you know yeah
1: and i will go to my grave saying that if the price was right we'd see bret hart at one of those saudi shows that's all i'm saying <laughs>
0: <laughs> i want to see that i really want to see it bret hart versus goldberg in saudi Arabia. <laughs>
1: Do you reckon I'm so surprised at that uh, Goldberg versus Undertaker match that Brett, that's the one time Brett's going I don't have an opinion on that match I'm just going to leave that one but uh, look that do yourself a favor. If you haven't seen One Night Only, check it out. It is a really, really good pay per view. but we've got a special double shot here on Reliving the War on the Grey Wolf Network because we've got another WWF pay per view and another absolute banger from Shawn Michaels in the main event and The Undertaker as well. The first ever Hell in a Cell match at Bad Blood.
0: Yeah, one of the all-time classic matches, maybe arguably the greatest cage match of all time too, if you want.
1: The greatest culmination of a feud, you have got to say, like, and this, I like, we'll talk about it a lot more in Bad Blood, but the Sean, uh, the Sean and Undertaker story in nineteen ninety seven, like, you know how they sort like the the, the the excuse for um, for CM Punk not main eventing in two thousand and eight uh, when he was world champion was that oh well sorry man and it's just like well you've got the title that's great but the hottest story is funnily enough Sean Michaels versus Chris Jericho yeah whereas if you're trying to tell me that sean versus if you were to put the hell in a cell match before the WWF title match you got rocks in your brains
0: <laughs> exactly and really not only is it like another step in the Shawn michaels and undertaker feud it's the debut of one of the biggest characters in wwe history no Correct. spoilers but you know that one's going to be good <laughs>
1: yeah it certainly will be but yeah make sure you join us here on the gray wolf network you can follow us on socials at gray wolf ent for uh, to find out where our latest edition of reliving the wall will be and also make sure you tune into our other wrestling podcast which is maximum impact me and ned go through some old tna per views relive some of the glory days of tna slash impact wrestling a bit of the old bit of the new so Uh, There's plenty of good content here on Grey Wolf Entertainment. But uh, on behalf of Simon, I've been Nim Sazor. We'll catch you next time for another edition of Reliving the War.
0: This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. Greywolfentertainment.net.